0: Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Cut the Cord Podcast Episode 11. I'm Ryan, and I'm joined by some other streaming media nerds, Hannah. Hello! And Alistair. Hello! Together we take on television for those who have cast off the tyranny of their local cable provider. Each week we gather here to find a great show to watch from the often overwhelming variety of shows to choose from. We review the prior week's selection, then we pick a new show, and do it all over again. This is a review show, so we likely will spoil some of the points from the movie. This week's movie is Netflix's The Discovery. Our companion song is Arrival in Nara by Alt-J, which Plays over the end credits. So let's take a listen.
1: In a blinking, in one
2: motion,
1: broken streaks rips her towards the ocean. She never fights her very sucking splash into. So,
0: first thing I want to get out of the way is the discovery deals with a very heavy, serious topic, which is suicide. It's a major plot point in the movie. And I just wanted to let anyone know out there who's listening, who might be dealing with these issues, there are places you can turn to. So, there is a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, which is 1 800 273 8255. And also, just as a content warning, if this subject is going to be too intense for you or bring out things, this may not be an episode you want to listen to but we're going to try and keep it as light as we can and really focused on the film with that being only a part of the film so I just wanted to get that out of the way
2: also for those of you who are averse to using the phone or millennials there's a text crisis hotline in the United States you can text 741-741 that's 741-741 and you can start a text conversation with a real counselor that's just available. If you, you can do it quietly. You can do it if you're afraid of talking about it or if you're afraid of talking on the phone. That's an option for you.
1: And if any of you are listening overseas, there are many, many ways of finding out more information about suicide and places you can go to for help. Wikipedia is just one of the many, many sources of information that you can go to for support and contact lines.
2: I mean, please reach out if this is something that you're struggling with.
1: And not just if it's you personally, but yeah you know any friends or relatives that are having difficulties it's something that pops up a lot more in today's society and we have the ability to reach out and help each other so please take advantage of that don't be alone
0: So going into the film, the film is directed by Charlie McDowell, who also wrote the screenplay along with Justin Ladder. It's produced by James D. Stern and Alex Orlovsky. It stars Robert Redford as Thomas, Mary Steenburgen as the interviewer. It's really more of a cameo, but it's a really (laughs) powerful part of the movie. Jesse Piemans as Toby, Jason Segal as Will, and Runa Mari as Isla. So this movie is really kind of trippy. So I'm going to try and explain it without spoiling too much. So the discovery is Thomas, being played by Robert Redford, has scientifically proven and verified the existence of an afterlife. He doesn't want to add a lot of religious context to it, so he thinks of it more as like an alternate plane of reality, perhaps. So he knows it exists, but he doesn't want to put too many labels on what it necessarily is. So this discovery has altered the world in some drastic ways. With the afterlife being discovered, there are people who, for a variety of reasons, either don't want to deal with the pain in their world or there are people that they want to be reunited with and now that they know that they're on the other side they call it getting there they are committing suicide at an astronomical rate so thomas there are people who are questioning whether he has responsibility for this discovery and what has happened and he flatly denies that he does so when i was talking about the part with the interviewer mary steenburgen is conducting an interview with him about all these topics and during that interview in a really kind of shocking punctuation right in the first couple minutes of the film one of the sound producers on the show kills himself on air when that happens thomas goes into hiding for like a year and the next part of the movie that we see is jason seagal who i have to say i was really impressed first of all with the overall acting quality but i thought he actually did a really good job on this it was not the kind of a character i expected to see him playing and i think he did pretty well with it so he's on this ferry going to this island and there's this woman there he meets isla And they have a conversation about what kind of they think of... Discover discovery, what it means, and all of that. And there's actually some really good dialogue that we'll probably get into later that happens there. So they get to this island, and you find out that Will is actually Thomas's son. He's changed his last name because he doesn't want to be associated with that, and he's very critical of his father's work. And he ends up going with his brother, Toby, who's played by uh, Jesse Plemons, as this kind of, like, stoner, slacker assistant, who's actually a lot smarter than he lets on. So he goes to this compound where his father has been researching the next step in the discovery it's really this like cult-like compound that again we'll a little bit later on we'll discuss some of those aspects to it but while he's there he sees Isla on the beach basically she's putting on like this backpack with like weights on it and walking into the water to kill herself and he goes and drags her out of the water and that kind of starts their kind of bonding together And you find out some of the reasons why she was going to kill herself and she gets brought into this compound also where they start working on kind of the next step of the discovery so the first phase was Thomas figuring out that there is an afterlife then the second phase is he's building this machine to be able to see what it is
2: because he doesn't know I think he verified that the brain waves leave the body and go somewhere but not anything specific about where it is
0: right like in the interview they're pressing him as to what like the nature of the afterlife is and he says he doesn't know and the analogy that he brings up is if you see a train leaving a station do you have to to know its destination to know that it's left the station is on a journey yeah so he wants to record what happens on the other side and this recording of it opens up kind of a series of mysteries where they start seeing things but they don't understand exactly necessarily what it is they're seeing and they start doing some investigations and discussions about what it is and this opens up a whole can of worms as to what the true nature of like the other side is and as they discover more and build more more theories about what it is they realize that this information would be exceptionally dangerous like just the existence of the afterlife being verified has caused all of these problems and then when they verify what it is that it would be even more problematic so they end up trying to destroy the machine and not release it to the world and then so the kind of conclusion to this I don't know if I want to reveal what the second phase is. We
1: absolutely should.
0: Okay, yeah. Essentially, what they figure out through a long series of investigations is what you're seeing in the afterlife is almost like a multiverse, like reality branches at a certain point. At the point of your biggest regret in your life, the afterlife you go to is where you get a chance to live that moment over again. And fix it. And so things are slightly different. Like in our version of reality, one guy has like a wave tattoo. And then when they see him in the afterlife, he has a lighthouse. House tattoo right because reality is slightly different and this idea that would allow essentially it's almost like a reincarnation cycle that goes on where you get the chance to fix what's going on and you find out that Will is kind of trapped in this karmic reincarnation loop where he keeps meeting Isla over and over again and trying to save her because that's his biggest regret that the first time he saw her on the ferry he didn't do anything about her and then he found out that she killed herself which is
1: even funnier yeah, because uh, there's a whole loop about that as well just loop upon loop
0: Mm-hmm. Where they have this kind of flashback scene where all of the little odd things in the movie now make sense in context, right? Like when he meets her, for example, she's seasick and he happens to have a prescription for nausea pills in his pocket that he says he normally doesn't have. But, you know, it's so lucky that he has, he just happens to have it. And you find out because every time he comes back, he essentially figures out like the next step in the chain that he needs to complete.
1: This is all triggered by Isla getting murdered or perhaps relocated by another one of the residents yeah. at the hideaway.
2: Part of the cult. <laughs> <Part>
1: of, well, <laughs> uh, we have different opinions yeah. there. She is killed, murdered, relocated, however you want to put it, and this triggers off his whole discovery. So it's, then you find out all the extra stuff. The movie ends on a great note of hope, mm-hmm. which is uh, Segal dies in the movie and he is reunited with her on the boat and he fixes her problems which saves her and therefore saves him. Yeah. He then finishes on a beach which I'm sure we'll come back to later but it's been very symbolic and fixes her problem
2: the original one yeah her biggest regret
1: which was falling asleep and letting her five-year-old son drown it's a great note of hope at the end yeah and I think we should uh, we should talk about the movie a bit
0: I guess the first subject that I wanted to talk about was the general quality of the acting like I kind of mentioned with Jason Seagal and other people that I think everyone here is hitting their notes perfect. They really feel very natural in these roles. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can see acting, and when you can see acting that's not very good. And in here yeah. I'm aware of how good it is. It's not like they're repeating lines. I don't get that feeling at all. Jason Segel does... An amazing job. I mean, I think we saw
2: like a tiny sliver of this kind of performance from him way back in How I Met Your Mother when, spoiler alert, his character's father dies. And he has to struggle with that and work through that. He's probably the best actor on that show, to be honest. He does a great job. Like, I'm not surprised he did so well. I
1: think Robert Redford pulls off the crazy cult leader slash hardcore (laughs) scientist slash Uh man Filled with regret
0: Mm -hmm.
1: really, really well. The only part of the main cast that I was not really sold on was actually Isla, really Mara. She reminded me of that Targaryen chap from Game of Thrones. Yes. In appearance, at least.
0: (laughs) With the hair
1: with the hair and the face and the attitude I really found her quite compelling
0: yeah I thought she was complex and interesting and dark and dark but like believably dark like she maybe I'll touch on this a little bit later but I felt like it was a maybe more realistic depiction of some kinds of depression yeah where she really is just emotionally numb yeah to the world like she doesn't want to make any emotional connections with anyone because she's been so hurt throughout her past
2: and also the inability to feel those emotions you hear people talking about feeling numb and yeah it it really does feel like that like you're just wandering around in a haze like everything's a dream it's called dissociation it's part of it to have an outlet of oh I can just kill myself and I will go somewhere there's a lot of people who don't commit suicide because they're like I'm not sure I think this is all that there is so the news that there is some place to go would be so comforting in the worst possible way
0: if you're trying to save Somebody's life. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's what makes the second phase of the discovery so dangerous is it's not people who are inherently depressed, but people who have regrets. But now that they have that almost like safety valve that they know that yeah. they can try again. Yeah that's an exceptionally dangerous thing.
1: Mindset, yes, absolutely. Even people who aren't feeling depressed and suicidal mm-hmm. would take a great deal of solace from the noise that, yes, dying is not the end. And also, it's actually a chance to right one's wrong, to correct mm-hmm. errors in your life. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? But that said, there's someone I heard recently where, and stop me if this is in the film, that without life's great mistakes... That is who you are. That if you undid all of your mistakes, you would be nothing. Yeah. So, just a thought.
0: Well, I guess when we get to the religion part, I wanted to talk a little bit about some like Buddhist ideas that are in there. Not being a Buddhist myself, I might screw it up a little bit, so go <laughs> easy on me. But yeah, you know, I felt like the dialogue felt very natural, but there are points in the dialogue where it punches really, really hard. Yeah robert redford's character very beginning of the film in the interview where he's talking about people who are committing suicide to get somewhere he thinks that they're fantasizing about where they're going to go and he doesn't think that's a good idea because what is it says reality and fantasy are mutually exclusive they don't exist in the same place it yeah. comes up several
1: times in the film it's a good line and unfortunately
0: that's not true
1: it's not true in <laughs> in the in the fiction of the film that it's actually the opposite is truth yeah. It's a dark place to be, even more so with that ray of hope. It's just uh, mm-hmm. I think there's some really good interactions there. The interviewer certainly it opens that premise. I find it really rammed that premise down your throat.
2: Oh, yeah. It's like, bam, this is what kind of movie this is.
1: You are absolutely guaranteed certain that the afterlife is a real thing. We are 100% sure of that. There's a comedy, they stopped making it now, it's the Mitchell and Webb look, and they talk about the event. But one of the sketches in it is the game show at the, at the end of the world, and the apocalypse, and they always talk about the event like it was a certainty. But you never find out what it is. In the same way, this show is like, this actually happened, the discovery is real, there is no... Discussing how it really goes about explaining that away but it stops being meaningful you just have to accept it so
0: yeah and I think that's kind of good that they don't necessarily go into too many details about the proof that he has because if they did then you would start analyzing the proof yeah you just have to accept as a premise for this movie that this is indisputable proof Mm -hmm. and it goes from there we were talking a little bit about religion there's another like bit of dialogue that I thought was really kind of telling in there when we talked about Isla being killed by another their cult or a compound member. Mm-hmm. So what kind of triggers this when they're going to test it, she's let into the room. She's much lower like level in their initiations than this other girl is. She literally just showed up that day. <laughs> and they're <laughs> like, here, come along with this big discovery thing. This woman gets kind of jealous of that. And she starts saying that the machine didn't work. And this is like a big violation of trust from kind of the agreements they have. So she's getting cast out. Mm-hmm. And she has this kind of painful moment where first of all, she describes how she got there which to the compound. compound yeah what caused her to come there which was feeling abandoned and now she's being abandoned again Again, yeah but there's this casting out moment where she said
1: don't lose faith in me
0: and then there's this retort from him where he's like i have such contempt for that word show me someone who relies on faith and i'll show you someone who's given up control
2: yeah whoa i mean and it kind of also sort of speaks to how he the character thomas is really trying to sidestep an ethos and ethical decision making he's the discovery is science for science's sake and I'm going to release this so that everybody can find out about it but I have no responsibility for how I structure this information I mean we started this podcast with a content warning you know and it comes up over and over again in in science of that people have figured out how to weaponize I think it was a flu virus a few years ago and they're still trying to figure out how they can share well they didn't figure out how to weaponize it exactly but they figured out a process to do with it that could very easily lead to it being weaponized so they decided not to release that information and some of the scientists are having this ethical debate over whether or not science for science's sake let's release this it's just information it's not on us the people who are releasing this information how this information is being used and on the other hand where people are like, they're gonna make weapons out of this. We're gonna kill millions of people if we do this, so...
1: This the 3D printer argument. I just released the diagram for a gun that you can make with a 3D printer. It's not my fault if people make it and use it. I just released it. I have no actual responsibility for that. Owning responsibility is huge. I want to go back to that line in the movie because it actually struck out a, a big chord with me. Like, So I actually looked this up. It's on IMDb. And Lacey goes, Please don't lose faith in me. He goes, Faith? Oh, God. So.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: He has control over his own thoughts and his desires and he derides people's normal natural behaviours and it will reinforce that we're going to come to it but the, about the cult you know mm. he's a faith of science and hierarchy and order but oh god it's really disgusting and the way he says it, it was mm-hmm. such like, cold venom contempt
0: contempt That she had shown her vulnerability to him by essentially Mm -hmm. throwing herself on the mercy of the mask, you know, sensei, or whatever you want to refer to him as, and he rejects her. Really did feel like it's being like excommunicated from an organization, like had that weight to it when he cast her out in that way, which ties back to the cult thing. Hannah, you brought up the point about like responsibility for your discoveries, the weight of discoveries that can change the world. The example I can think of is Oppenheimer, when he created Mm. and led to the nuclear bomb, when he witnessed it, his thought was, I become death, the destroyer of worlds.
1: Which is funny, because Thomas, the creator, actually, the discoverer, actually has indirectly killed more people than Oppenheimer ever did.
2: Yeah. Yes.
1: And you can see evidence of that throughout the movie with these suicide boards.
2: Yeah, the posters in the background, what was it the posters kept
0: saying? Discover Life.
2: Yeah, Discover Life. It wasn't Hang On, but it was something like that. The Hang On one had the countdown. In the hospital, it had a an led counting up of people like the numbers of people who had committed suicide
0: and it's like it's horrific it's horrifying there was over
1: four million people i was i actually paused the movie and and counted the numbers
0: i did i paused it and looked at yeah the board there's
1: one scene where you actually see it tick up Mm -hmm. you know it's like oh god
0: Mm-hmm. What that actually made me think about was, I don't know what the actual rate of suicide is in our world, but at least here they're acknowledging the rate. Like I feel like there's like a silent number there that we're not aware of, that there isn't a board showing us those numbers. And if there was, maybe we'd be a little more aware of those things. Mm-hmm. So that was a thought that that brought into me, that how does this compare to what is actually happening? Yeah. I mean, I know it's not 4 million people, but it's yeah. there is a number.
1: There is definitely a number. You could say this among all sorts of other things, as well, like perspective. This is throwing sharp perspective on suicide and the attempts to keep people living. If we had the same perspective on murders or uh, yeah, other violent crimes or on poverty or hunger,
2: but it's thirteen per one hundred thousand population in the United States. So basically, every chunk of one hundred thousand people, thirteen people will commit suicide. So that's aggregated from average together, basically from. 1999 through 2014 and it has increased 24 percent after 2006.
1: Jesus. Choose life boys and girls. Choose life
2: yeah it's not always that simple you know i think i'll segue into like talking a little bit more about i think this movie is a really good representation of being suicidal in terms of the characters and their motivations for doing it they point out several times they're trying to escape from pain and it's not out of a sense of like oh i'm going to get you or even sometimes of i just hate myself it's just i'm in a lot of pain and it's seeking to alleviate that pain which is a really hopeful thing if you work in the field of mental health because you can kind of grab onto that and be like okay so you're in a lot of pain right now and you're trying to get rid of this pain and maybe you haven't tried everything you know and then you kind of flip it around to like what's kept you from doing it before that's kind of the direction that that you go in reaching out with somebody who is suicidal as a professional but yeah i think whoever wrote this <laughs> somebody on the writings staff has been in that place before I like speaking as somebody who works with it professionally and as somebody who has who deals with it on a personal level from time to time you know I suffer from depression and you know I've been there and I've been in that place of just feeling so numb and the choose life thing it's, it's like naughty it's just like nah <laughs> it's like uh I think it's there and, and I think if if somebody is listening to this that's struggling with it you know uh, so many people have struggled with it and get
0: through it and that wouldn't have gotten through it if they thought they would be going to something better. That kind of segues us into cults. You were talking about like cults will often commit a mass Mass suicide. suicide. And the reason that they do it is they believe for whatever reason that where they're going is better. Right? That they're not losing something, they're gaining something. Or it's yeah. not as
1: bad as where they are right now.
0: Thomas's organization that he's built has so many cult like characteristics. Uh. That it can't really be a coincidence they're going for that imagery, right? There's a compound. The jumpsuits. Initiation interviews that you have to go through where you have to reveal deep secrets about yourself. Mm, Scientology. <clears throat> yeah, that, that's what it felt like to me that they're <laughs> yeah. monitoring your stuff. Yeah, and then once you're there, you're given a colored jumpsuit that corresponds to your level of either maybe trust or knowledge or, or something
1: proximity to the secret. To the, or to the leader, yeah. right? Like
0: how close you yeah. are to them. And when Isla comes in there with her visitor jumpsuit and is then taken into the highest echelons, that throws chaos into that structure. Yeah, they built. And he talks about it why he's done that that he doesn't believe in any of the cult like stuff, but these people are so that's his justification are either survivors of suicide or they've been affected by some way. And by having that order and structure, it gives them something to hold on to. That's his claim anyway. And
2: I mean, that's what people who go into cults are seeking. They're seeking belonging and they're seeking structure. And oftentimes like people that go into cults are very bright, but they're vulnerable, troubled people. So that's exactly what Thomas has gathered around himself. And he even says it's not a cult at one point point,
0: doesn't he?
1: if it looks like a horse and smells like a horse yeah
0: it's a cult without religion (laughs) it really is what it is
1: well specifically because we talked about the script earlier I despise faith faith is integral to religion and organized religion so it's a scientific cult it's a cult of personality
0: I mean I've heard faith being described as belief the unseen right which Mm -hmm. is the sort of the opposite of science science deals with the seen and observable
1: it fills in the gaps in the unknown Mm
0: -hmm. there's a quote I've heard for science which is measure what is measured Measurable and make what is unmeasurable measurable which is kind of what he's doing is right this this afterlife thing was unknown and now he's beginning to quantify it Mm -hmm.
1: we talked about cults and controlling people we talked specifically about the the horrible things that happened to one of the members where there's lacy her deepest darkest secrets were revealed to all and then she was cast (sighs) out as if from heaven yeah
0: so abusive when we talked about that interview that they do they're told what you reveal here it's like a confessional booth right that there's a, a seal on this and then when it's time to cast her out he breaks that seal wide open he breaks the seal
1: mm-hmm. how do you think he exerts control what is your take on that obviously there's a hierarchy in the people on the outside of the newest but how does he control those on the inside does he just give them the glimpses of the secrets or does he involve them I don't think there's a lot of, of actual physical control no. there
0: no but physical control is not the most powerful thing. Mm
1: I was going to say, their innermost thoughts and secrets invested in the leader. Those secrets, to me, were not empowering of him. I didn't feel that if I was sat there answering those questions that he would have any more power over me than anyone else. Those sort of questions are not something I would be afraid to talk about with my friend. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking about here. I mean, I wish we had a list of those questions so we could just uh, discuss them.
0: They're seemingly basically innocuous questions, but he keeps pressing them to go deeper with their answers. Yeah. And I think there's a couple things there. It builds intimacy, Yep. that there's these sec- Everyone else's secrets when they're revealed always seem kind of stupid to you because they're not your secrets. They don't carry all the inherent shame <laughs> and guilt and weight with you. Uh-huh. It's like listening to somebody's dreams. They're not interesting because yeah. they're not your dreams. But when you share that with this one person, these dark inner truths that you probably haven't even confronted or talked out yourself, it creates a link with him a
2: one-sided link because he has your secrets he hasn't revealed anything to you it's kind of like why therapists are not supposed to sleep with their clients because we hold all of their secrets so we have the upper hand over them anytime and so those relationships are just rife with abuse and client ends up committing suicide more often than not when the relationship doesn't work out so
0: yeah it's an interesting parallel to priests and confessional Mm -hmm. you know that there has to be that or assurance of safety. Confidentiality and safety, yeah. And I also think, like you mentioned, Hannah, that these people are at the lowest, most vulnerable points in their life and it creates this structure that they attach onto that gives them meaning. Mm -hmm. And if you remove that structure from them, you've removed the meaning from people who are inherently, you know, to be suicidal and in a vulnerable state. Yep, That's abuse Mm -hmm. in my mind. Yes.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. As we said before, it's not religious at all in its nature. There are similarities. You just said... Uh, confessional with it with a priest or the scientology where well, you can't really call that a religion yeah
0: you can the difference that i've heard between a cult and a religion is that a cult's leader is still alive and a religion leader oh. is not. <laughs> that's interesting
2: and i think there's also the difference between a cult and a religion it goes into that power and control and there isn't a mutual give and take between the person part of the organization and the organization as a whole and of course about By this definition, there are a lot of what are considered religious organizations that do have that relationship with their followers, but taken to the extent where they're isolated and being controlled and taken away from their normal everyday life and forced to give up their money or their labor, which I'm pretty sure Thomas
1: is not paying these people. (laughs)
2: Like there's no way that he's paying these people. So he has a lot of free labor.
1: I don't know you have a even afford food no one actually seems to do any work that makes money i didn't see any gardens so uh, how are they eating
0: yes i'm sure thomas is quite (laughs) wealthy that seems to be the impression that i got you know so yeah maybe he controls them through food
1: oh yeah they would get to lord of the flies
0: (laughs) (laughs) but with science there was an interesting parallel. We've talked about kind of like the boat and the beach and water Mm -hmm. as this kind of transformative, like a bridge between realities, I think is a metaphor they're going for.
1: And rebirth as well.
0: Yeah, the baptism, the water of the womb. I mean, all of these are powerful images that they are, I think, are invoking. But one thing that struck me is when Will is meeting up with Isla at the end, and he's basically achieved the answers to the universe, why he's here. He's at the end of his cycle. And he has the option of going back into the world but if he does he'll never see her again Mm -hmm. and this kind of at least to me brought up the idea of in buddhism when you achieve your buddha state where you've achieved this like perfect enlightenment you can leave this cycle yeah or you can come back as like a guide to others And that I thought was an interesting parallel. That's what it made me think of when he had the choice.
2: He chooses to come back and really save her, like keep her from dying in the first place. He saves the child so she would have no reason. no
1: reason to commit suicide.
2: She wouldn't have no reason to go to the island and be a part of Thomas's cult or any of that. He essentially made it to where that she would never meet him.
1: Yeah. This whole afterlife business, I mean, is it really a death? Is it really an end? The question in my mind that came up to the surface right watching the end of that movie is, what is life and what is death in that movie? How do we know that this invention was even in the prime world? How do we know that none of these people are already dead? And also, if he's going back to a different time and place, are these circles... Are you just living your own life and just being touched by the vague thoughts and ideas of other people? Where does the circle start and end? solipsistic. (laughs) Well, exactly. One of the drawings on the beach that Isla makes is an Ouroboros. Yep. I mean she partially rubs it out but it's there mm-hmm. and it's like well are we eternal beings are we just where's the start in the first I place I think that you
0: know? ties into some of the ideas about reality being almost like an illusion mm-hmm. that we're trapped in our sense of time being linear and all of these ideas that it brings up I think really tie into those ideas and I think that the reason she like you said she makes that symbol for infinity and then she crosses it out because I don't think she's ready to accept mm-hmm the snake eating its own tail
2: will says we repeat the same mistakes over and over
0: that kind of brings up something i've heard a rabbi say before which is hell if there is such a thing right so there's two angels standing on either side of the world and they take your soul and they throw it back and forth across your life and you're forced to watch your mistakes over and over again without being able to affect them
2: yeah my first thought of when i saw the afterlife was oh no you're in hell you're reliving your worst mistake over right and over and over over. <laughs> like that would be awful
1: yes i mean that's not hell for me hell for me is literally doing the same thing <laughs> every day with no variation at all the lack of creativity the afterlife that they experience is actually the opposite of that it is infinite mm-hmm. infinite yeah. creativity and infinite variation yeah. and you're creating new people in yourself every time you die essentially mm-hmm. i think It's wonderful. And this,
0: again, ties in with your karmic cycle and working your way up this ladder may not be the right word, but these steps of beings and consciousness that he learns a little thing each time. Like, I need to bring the anti-nausea medication. This is the room where I should be staying in. Like, he's remembering things from past lives, and that's getting him closer to his final completion of his regrets. I know. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting movie it's like a really sad groundhog day you
1: know? <laughs> 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 it's, it's terribly sad it's terrible I was saying to run before we started recording the other night like not last night but the night before I was I, I went to bed and I was like lying awake thinking about this film thinking about what I would talk about and how I'd react to it and I just got overcome by this absolute terror don't get frightened easily but it's this sort of terror of the uncertainty of death and how much I didn't want to yeah. die at all I was absolutely mortally terrified it took me a Little while to get <laughs> over that sort of fear yeah. because I'm like, oh my god, I don't know what's coming up next. I don't want to face that. I don't want mm-hmm. to be winked out into nothingness. Yeah. You know, I, I want there to be something else after this, and that was definitely triggered by that. <laughs> you had an the existential sort of Existential crisis. dread. Yeah. I genuinely, genuinely did, and uh, this film and the thoughts it has stirred in me will continue yeah. for some time, for sure.
0: I agree. This is one that will stick with me for a while, too. Yeah, and I'm so glad this isn't the
2: case. Because it would make my job so much harder. Like, can you imagine being a trauma counselor <laughs> in this universe? Like, holy shit! Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, guys, it's all right. Nothing to worry about. Yeah. There's definitely someone after this. But how about you give it a and try? And I just found
2: myself. How would I even do my job? <laughs> just be like, well, you know, you don't know. Well, we do know. So, well,
0: it's a fair that's cop. A fair cop. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and this is as kind of a potential another system of control the religions have is the only way that you could control people's actions with that knowledge is if you want that shot at your next thing you have to do X number of things in this life, right? Yeah. But that doesn't seem to be the case from their very small sample size that they have, first of all. <laughs> that's a big problem. They don't really have enough sample size Three to really say anything, anything definitive. They've only seen two people's afterlife.
2: Oh, mm-hmm. well, I just came up with a different interpretation of the ending. Oh, sure. So he frees himself in a a way he kind of freed her too because Isla's not doing a loop trying to save the kid so yes. you know maybe the ending is also her
0: the intersection between the two loops
1: it's a venn diagram of the afterlife
0: here's another thing that i thought about too <laughs> is when he talks about his near-death experience he's a five-year-old child who drowns on a beach he goes back and saves a five-year-old child oh who down- drowns on the beach is that him is that his mom I think it oh, might. Be. Oh, oh I didn't even
2: much. think about that. And yeah, I think his she's like a frequent. wayfish. Yeah,
0: <gasps> you never see
1: it. Oh, my God. it's like
2: the opposite of the red dwarf Araborus, where Lister is his own dad. He <laughs> his saves father, his own mother. Araborus. <laughs> so yeah. Oh.
1: That's actually a mind blow. I'm going to have to re-watch this movie again, again now. Thanks, yeah. Ryan.
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's true. It just When I was watching it, I'm like... Because it's a beach he recognizes. Yeah, He sees her going to do it. And then he describes his near-death experience. It yeah. just seems all interconnected to me.
1: That's insane.
0: Like I guess, mind-blown. <laughs> Maybe we should rate it. So I will give this... Oh, I'm torn between... Four and a half and five. I think I will give it four and a half getting there. Ooh.
1: <laughs> I'm going to do a nice one. How about um, five seasickness tablets?
2: Oh, I'm going to give it four bunk beds.
0: Well, I just thought the bunk bed was really sweet. <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Every week we each bring a show to consider watching. We each vote for a show and we cannot vote for our own show. The show with the most votes is our next show to watch and review.
2: So I want to nominate The Get Down. Season 2 is coming out on Netflix. So The Get Down is, it's a musical. Amazing. And it's just a drama and it's a period drama set in 1977 and it was created by oh I'm gonna say his name wrong Boz Luhrmann he made Moulin Rouge and Oz and all kinds of over the top
0: Romeo and Juliet
2: oh yeah the 90s Romeo and Juliet with Strictly Ballroom Leonardo DiCaprio like he, he's great and the cast is supposed to be great and the story and I just remember everybody just being very excited I lost
0: my damn mind over this show it's amazing it's like hip-hop kung-fu in the 70s in Brooklyn
1: I want to vote for harlots it sounds like a great laugh and I'm all about period comedy
2: (laughs) well when you sell it like that all about period I'm really surprised I'm not the one who went there
1: (laughs) what you were talking about period musicals and I thought I'd go one better
2: Now I want to write a
0: musical about periods. Lin-Manuel Miranda! Shout out, man. I'm torn between recommending two shows. I want to recommend 13 Reasons Why, but I don't think I'm ready for another show about suicide. Although I hear it's fantastic. So I'm going to recommend Five Came Back, which is a series of documentaries about true story. You know, five Uh filmmakers in World War II who go to World War II. And it talks about propaganda and how it's used and how the war affected them and filmmaking and what came after. It's got a few little indie directors like Steven Spielberg and Guillermo del Toro and you know little people you may have heard of who might know something about directing. I like
2: their stuff, yeah.
0: So it sounds cool to me. I've I've always been interested in how propaganda works and can you use something like that for good? Mm. And how does war affect you and the kind of movies that you both want to make and people want to see after having lived through that? So sounds interesting to me. All right, let's, let's vote in the same order.
2: Okay, so it's between harlots am i saying the word wrong or are you just giggling because i said inherently funny word okay i'm 12 years old give me a break yeah i don't know maybe neither of you have had that flung at you by an angry preacher man
1: at your college i would like to have that. (laughs) i mean
2: i was proud but it it was still one of
1: those calling me a harlot? I don't know if you know this, but I am a, rather a chap. <laughs> but I'm not a harlot.
2: So, okay, so the film about sex workers. Oh, oh Now you're talking! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or Five Came Back. I'm gonna go with Five Came Back.
1: Oh, you see, that's just the moral cowardice I've come to expect. Oh no. oh, no. God, I'm really torn. I love the way you describe the get down, but I really, really want to hear about propaganda in World War two. Okay. But then again, most of my youth has been learning about World uh. War II. And I, I know far more. <laughs> you understand this? I'm from Yeah, Britain, it happened and, uh, there. We, it happened there. There were like traces of the Blitz where I grew up. So I'm going to go with the Get Down. Mm-hmm. Get Down, Get Down. All right.
0: I am also going to vote for the Get Down. Okay. It's so damn good.
1: <laughs> the Get Down, Get Down. Yeah,
0: and I think it's actually going to be a really interesting contrast to Iron Fist because this is how you do martial arts. Oh. Oh, my at least a sense of fun and exploration if not the acrobatics of it all right let me pull up the script i lost my place so that was the discovery you can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans including our other podcasts four color nerds comic book reviews and broke gaming at fourcolornerds.com or our facebook page you can follow us on twitter or instagram you can find the podcast on itunes and google play music on stitcher on soundcloud and on
2: podcast addict
0: be sure to rate
2: review review that's not
1: your name no that's not my no, name your
2: name's not hannah Alister. I name you Alistair.
1: And so now I'm going to go back into whatever hell dimension I oh, came from. shit.
2: <laughs> I thought I had to speak your name thrice.
1: No, it's just once. We've modernized.
2: Oh, awesome. Very efficient. Okay.
1: Yeah, it saves time. Review. And subscribe. <laughs> Be sure to come back next
0: week for another episode. Until then, keep streaming, nerds.